This is episode number 33 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We're broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective because, unfortunately, no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. The liberal mainstream media can no longer be objective if they ever could, and the conservative now state-run media has been completely compromised. We, however, at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at individual1pod. That's individual, the number one pod. Uh, thanks for bearing with us during our unusual Memorial Day weekend scheduling. We did not do an episode of the podcast over Memorial Day for a variety of reasons, and we're doing this episode a day earlier than normal. The, the schedule will still be somewhat in flux in the weeks to come as we head in the, the beginning of summer, but we're still dedicated to doing this uh, twice a week and usually, although not always, on Sundays and Wednesdays, Los Angeles, California time. By the way, speaking of that, uh, this weekend, thanks to my daughter's birthday, we will not be doing it on Sunday. We'll be doing it on Saturday, probably midday uh, Los Angeles time on Saturday. But anyway, hope you, uh, if you're in the United States, hope you had a good uh, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, President Donald Trump was in Japan and only Donald Trump uh, could possibly uh, go ahead and on Memorial Day in Japan uh, wish everyone a happy Memorial Day, considering the fact that, you know, a pretty good percentage of the soldiers we're remembering on Memorial Day were killed by Japanese. <laughs> and it gets worse than that. It gets worse than that because in 2016, not like all that long ago, in the midst of the campaign, Donald Trump actually tweeted, and this is a real tweet, he tweeted in 2016, does President Obama ever discuss the sneak attack on Pearl Harbor while he's in Japan? <laughs> I'm not making this up. It's just flat out ridiculous. I mean, there's a, literally a tweet for everything. <laughs> and that's Donald Trump. I'm, I'm guessing, I'm hoping that he didn't mention Pearl Harbor while he was over in Japan. Uh, but he did wish everyone a happy Memorial Day. Uh, far more serious things happened over that period of time. North Korea began retesting their missile system. Remember when that was supposed to be all taken care of? Uh, yeah, well, that was a lie. And instead of acknowledging that he made a mistake and correcting course, Donald Trump has tripled or maybe quadrupled down on Kim Jong-un. In fact, and again, in any other presidency, this would be something we would talk about for weeks, for weeks. In a tweet, Donald Trump, the president of the United States, backed the brutal dictator, tyrant of North Korea, Kim Jong-un, over the, the, I wouldn't say presumptive, but certainly the clear favorite for the Democratic presidential nomination and former vice president of the United States, Joe Biden. Again, I'm not making this up. And then, you know, in any other world, one of the little details would be something everyone would be discussing. When he did so via tweet, he misspelled Joe Biden's name. You cannot be serious. <laughs> I am. I am totally serious. We're better than that. No, no, we are not. We are not. We are most definitely not better than that. This was the tweet that, to which I'm referring to from President Trump. North Korea, this is fascinating. 
North Korea fired off some small weapons. <laughs> because, you know, small weapons, I guess, aren't that dangerous. <laughs> As if that doesn't reveal intent, right? Isn't the intent here the important thing? He fired off some small weapons, which disturbed some of my people and others. Now, that's amazing. That's an, an amazing acknowledgement. This action disturbed some of my people. Translation, my top advisors, for, because for Trump to know about this, right, they have to have access to the president. And if they have access to the president on a foreign trip, we're talking about the, only the very top people. He's not referring to the coffee boy who's, boy, Mr. President, I'm really disturbed by what North Korea did, firing off some small weapons. No, we're talking about people like John Bolton and others who's acknowledging. Others, I guess, not important people because they're not part of his administration. But not me. What's he saying there? I know better than my top advisors. I am a god. I am a king. It does not matter to me what my advisors say, no matter how much more knowledge uh, or experience they have in these matters. But not me. It does not disturb me. Why does it not disturb President Trump, he says, I have confidence that Chairman Kim, not the dictator, doesn't, didn't even call him uh, Rocket Man. Remember, he used to call him Rocket Man. Even that, by the way, I thought was, uh, you know, as, as Trump nicknames go, that was actually fairly complimentary. Rocket Man. He could have called him Rocket Boy. He called him Rocket Man. You know, I mean, Elton John, Rocket Man. I mean, that, that's, that's not a negative. There's no, there's no negative connotation there in comparison to the other nicknames he comes up with actual American political leaders who have the audacity to confront Trump or oppose him in some way. Even Republicans. Remember Lion Ted Cruz and little Marco Rubio? But I digress. I have confidence that Chairman Kim will keep his promise to me and also smiled when he called Swamp Man Joe Biden, B-I-D-A-N. Now, I'm a terrible speller, and I make a lot of mistakes, uh, especially with autocorrect on uh, Twitter. When I see them, I immediately delete them. Uh, Trump did not immediately delete this tweet, but Biden is not a difficult name to spell. <laughs> B-I-D-A-N. You cannot be serious! But he writes, he called Swamp, this is referring to Kim Jong-un, tyrant, dictator, killer of American Ottawambir, even though Trump doesn't want to blame him for that because he takes his word for it. He says that Kim Jong-un smiled when he called Swamp Man Joe Biden a low IQ individual and worse. Perhaps that's sending me a signal, question mark. What the hell does that mean? I, have, I honestly don't even have a theory for what that means. But here he is kissing up on a hot Memorial holiday weekend to Kim Jong-un, disparaging the former president, the vice president of the United States, Joe Biden, very likely his political opponent. And uh, then he deletes it and then he retweeted basically the same thing. I believe he corrected Biden's name being misspelled. But this is um, this is so amazing. And it, it resulted in some gonzo world headlines. This one from NBC. This is an NBC tweet about 
what I just told you that the president said publicly. NBC News actually was forced to tweet the following. U.S. president and North Korean dictator are in agreement on their shared criticism of former U.S. vice president. White House says. It's just flat out ridiculous. You know, what does, what does that mean? So they asked for clarification, you know, from the White House. Hey, the president just tweeted this. What does it mean? And the White House verified. Yep. Yep. We're going with the United States president and the North Korean dictator are in agreement on their shared criticism of a former vice president of the United States, Joe Biden, whose last name apparently we're incapable of spelling. So what's really going on here? I have uh, said from the very beginning of Donald Trump's run for the presidency, uh, even though there were things that I liked that he was saying, and and there's occasionally still things I like that he's saying, I just don't trust that they're real. But I I have been consistent in, in two basic principles here. Number one, that the costs of this were going to be far outweighed by the by the gains in the long run, that the long-term costs of a Donald Trump candidacy and presidency would far outweigh whatever short-term gain there would be, even under the best-case scenario. That's number one. And number two, I have always said, and I feel even more strongly about this because it's really not even a prediction. It's just a flat-out fact. I have always said that Donald Trump is, from a personality standpoint, from who he is as a person, the makeup of who he is. He is uniquely, uniquely unqualified for the position of the presidency of the United States of America. Correct. And that's so important. And we haven't even seen a situation where he was truly tested in like an international crisis or an economic crisis or a humanitarian crisis here in America, although some might claim that already happened with the Puerto Rican uh, hurricane. But the reality is that his narcissism is far greater than even Barack Obama's. Barack Obama's narcissism drove me bananas. But that pales in comparison to the narcissism and the egomania of Donald Trump. And the worst part about this, and we see it so much in this reaction to Kim Jong-un, is one, when you have that much of an ego, you refuse to take advice from people who know better than you, And you refuse to acknowledge when you are wrong. Trump has this policy of never apologizing, never admit that you're wrong. He kind of sort of did it for 15 seconds over the Obama birth certificate charade during the presidential campaign. Because I guess he was finally just forced to admit, you know what, I was wrong about that. Uh, Obama was born in America. Let's move on. Somehow he got away with that. I have no idea how. It was completely absurd. The U.S. media let him off the hook. I have no idea why. It's just flat out ridiculous. It makes no sense at all. But he refuses, by and large, to ever admit that he's wrong. He will not take advice from people who are smarter than him, more experienced than him, more knowledgeable than him. And maybe worst of all, and this is at the core of his reaction to Kim Jong-un, is the reality that how he interprets Who the good guys are and the bad guys are is the worst possible matrix for a United States president. Because Donald Trump doesn't evaluate somebody on their actions or their intent towards the United States. 
or whether or not they're trustworthy. No, he he interprets them based upon their level of power, their level of wealth, their level of celebrity, and maybe most important of all, what is their view of Donald Trump? Those are the criteria on which Donald Trump evaluates everybody. Correct. And that is incredibly dangerous. That's dangerous to have as a CEO of a company. But when you're president of the United States and you're dealing with awful, horrendous bad guys who have potentially the growing power, who knows, in a few years to be able to militarily impact the West Coast of the United States and clearly has shown the intent to want to do that, has publicly stated that. The the North Korean regime has consistently said that they want to destroy the United States of America. And they have broken their promises that they made to Trump. And yet Trump says he will keep his promise to me. Why? Because Kim Jong-un, who doesn't seem like all that bright a guy, has cracked the Trump code. The Trump code is if you are powerful, if you are a celebrity, if you are able to get Trump publicity, especially good publicity, and if you kiss Trump's ass, he will like you. He will view you as a good person. He will therefore, once he views you as a good person, he will interpret everything you say through that prism, which means he will trust you, especially once he has invested himself in trusting you. And it's really hilarious to me that Donald Trump, who never keeps a promise, Remember that wall that he promised a million times? Remember Obamacare he was going to repeal a thousand times? All sorts of promises he doesn't keep. This is a guy, ask his first two wives about the promises that Donald Trump keeps. Okay, the sacred promises that Donald Trump keeps. So, so the idea, it's, it's hilarious to me that, that Donald Trump is somebody who apparently views other people's promises to him to be sacred, even though there's a voluminous evidence that they're not going to keep the promise when he won't keep his promise to anybody. Forget about not, not just his supporters, his own wives. That I find flat out hilarious and, uh, and dangerous because we have him coddling a dictator and a tyrant. And from the beginning of his interaction with Kim Jong-un, I ask you, What has Kim Jong-un not gotten out of this deal that he could possibly have hoped for? I can't think of anything. He got let off the hook personally by the President of the United States on Otto Wambier. He has been given enormous, an enormous increase in his national stature. He's taken far more seriously now. He, there's no evidence that they've, done anything to diminish their weapons program. In fact, I'm of the belief, although I'm not an expert in this, but there's been reporting on this, that that the whole thing that brought them to the table was that a large portion of their weapon system literally collapsed. And so they they weren't going to be able to do anything anyway. But the, but the, the evidence has been overwhelming that their intention is to continue to try. And I don't know what we've gotten out of the deal. I, I, but but the most important thing, the most dangerous thing is the precedent that this is set, not just within this relationship, but in the relationship with other dictators. You don't think 
that especially if Trump gets reelected, that other dictators and tyrants aren't looking at this and reading the playbook for how to deal with Donald Trump and get him to dance to your fiddle? Because it's not difficult. All you need is power and celebrity and the willingness to kiss his rump. That's really all you need. Putin has figured this out. Kim Jong-un has figured this out. Saudi Arabia has figured this out. And conservatives are just sitting on their hands. Rich Lowry, uh, a former conservative that I would respect, a, a writer, and commentator, one of my actually favorites before the whole Trump phenomenon, who was very anti-Trump at the beginning of this whole fiasco, actually tweeted uh, his confusion over why Trump would do this with a dictator. <laughs> I explained to him, did not get a response. I explained it's because he's enamored of celebrity tyrants and does not want to admit that he's wrong. And if a Democrat ever did anything close to this, people like Rich Lowry would be screaming bloody murder. Correct. And would be warning about the dangers of all of this. And I, I realize that a large part of the problem in criticizing Trump, especially from a conservative perspective, is not only that most conservatives have been totally brainwashed. I love the poorly educated. But there, it's hard to point to something substantive and say, here's what the damage is. I mean, for some reason, the midterm election loss has been totally forgotten and rationalized. That was real damage, especially here in California. And there's been other things that, that have been damaging. But by and large, it's difficult to point to something. Well, it used to be the conservatives would look down the road and go, well, this is a horrible precedent, and aren't we setting up a very dangerous situation? And I, I continue to go back. Even Trump fans, even some Trump fans, have to be uneasy with Trump at the helm in a real, true crisis. You cannot trust what he says. You cannot trust his judgment. And he interprets people and events through a prism that is completely screwed up and dysfunctional. And that's why I've always believed, and I believe I've been vindicated 100%, that he is uniquely, that's the important word in that phrase, uniquely unqualified for this obviously unique position. Correct. And yet conservatives will just pretend that this did not happen. Now, interestingly, over this uh, past weekend, something in this realm happened that I, I found uh, fascinating from a, uh, from a human standpoint. Minnesota Senator, Democrat, running for president, uh, Amy Kluchabar, uh, she uh, made a statement at a campaign event about John McCain. And this is interesting because uh, Kluchabar was at the inauguration of Donald Trump, and she was sitting right next to John McCain. And apparently, and it's clear that she was sitting right next to John McCain. Apparently, Bernie Sanders was on one side and John McCain on the other. That must have been quite interesting. But she says, very casually, off the cuff, it does not appear to have been, you know, scripted remarks. She says that during the inauguration of Donald Trump, that McCain was, I don't know if he was whispering or just reciting the names of other dictators in the world. And it was clear to her that what McCain was doing, whether consciously, subconsciously, maybe even been, you know, kind of a Tourette's thing. Oh, that's probably not the right word. 
where McCain is effectively thinking to himself, oh, my gosh, this guy's just like so-and-so, just like so-and-so, just like this person, just like that person. This is where we're heading. I can't believe it, and I'm going to be dead soon. And, uh, and so she tells the story, and she gives McCain credit for understanding the dangers of what we're dealing with here, that this is a, a tyrant in the making. And I've always said that in some ways Trump is just paving the path for a true tyrant in the future, but in other ways he's maybe even more dangerous because no one's afraid of him because he seems like such a buffoon. Correct. And, you know, in a way the, the buffoon can do more damage because you don't take him seriously enough. You're not, fa- you're not afraid of him. Well, what was fascinating to me about this from a human and political standpoint is that she she makes this statement and then Meghan McCain, the daughter of John McCain, rips her for it, saying, leave my father's legacy alone as if she was manipulating John McCain's legacy for her own potential political advantage. And I realize that John McCain is about the last Republican uh, that still has some cachet uh, within people who would vote in a Democratic uh, presidential primary. But there was nothing remotely inappropriate with what she did. She told a story that's highly relevant in a complimentary way to John McCain. But Meghan McCain's got to get over herself. I mean, look, I'm sorry. Your father died. He lived an amazing life. Uh, Your career has been greatly helped, if not made, by the fact that you're John McCain's daughter. Uh, So uh, this, this, you know, get off your high horse. and, And let's deal with the real problem here, which is your father was right. And the bigger problem, which I have warned ever since McCain's death, and we're seeing it in the reaction to the Mueller report in spades. The big problem here is that John McCain's death, along with the the death of Charles Krauthammer of Fox News Channel, and I believe the deaths of the Bushes, and the the deaths of, uh, not just the deaths, but uh, General Michael Hayden had a stroke, former CIA director, who I believe, I know him, I've interviewed him a couple of times, uh, amazing guy. I believe he was holding his fire uh, for when the Mueller report came out. Now he can't even do interviews because he's recovering from a horrible stroke. The, Trump has insanely good luck for some reason in, the, in this realm. There are all sorts of conservative voices, voices with cachet and with credibility on the right, who have been silenced. We've had uh, major U.S. senators, Jeff Flake, for instance, uh, retiring from the U.S. Senate, no longer there. Um, And and so there's all sorts of people who had a voice, a strong voice, when the Trump presidency began, who no longer do. And foremost among them is John McCain. And I am a huge believer in human cowardice. Humans are inherently cowardly. They do not like to stand alone. They abhor it, especially in this day and age. For some reason, you know, we were a country that was founded on the backs of men mostly men, some women who uh, allegedly stood up. But, you know, I guess that goes back to the old Ben Franklin phrase, we all hang together or we will surely hang separately. Well, no one wants to believe in that anymore. No one wants to go on alone. And you need political cover in order to do anything that's remotely courageous. John McCain would have provided cover. I truly believe if John McCain was alive that he would be shouting from the mountaintops that Donald Trump needs to be removed from office. That would then give people like Mitt Romney cover to have more than a quarter of a testicle, which is all Romney's willing to show at this point. Then you got, once you got McCain and Romney together, now you have 
the last two Republican presidential nominees before Trump. That's powerful. It might not be nearly as powerful as it used to be because, as I said, a huge portion of the Republican Party is now a cult. I love the poorly educated. But there's still a lot of members who are not cult members, a lot of party members who are not fully part of cult 45, as I refer to it, who would at least respect Romney and McCain standing together and saying something's got to be done about this. Well, with McCain dead... His buddy, Lindsey Graham, completely co-opted. I, I have no idea w- what Trump must have or somebody must have on Lindsey Graham, but there, there's no other explanation at this point for, for how off the deep end Lindsey Graham has gone, best buddy of John McCain. And with Mitt Romney being a wimp and effectively doing Trump's dirty work for him by undercutting Justin Amash, the only guy, the only guy in all of this who has had... A brain, a soul, and two sturdy testicles. That's it. So far on the Republican side is Justin Amash. And I don't know Justin Amash. I I hesitate to ever, especially having learned a lot about humanity and public figures over the years, I hesitate to put anybody on a pedestal because they will always let you down. But so far, Justin Amash has been utterly amazing, especially given the circumstances and Like I mentioned, even Mitt Romney cutting him off at the knees by lying about what Robert Mueller found with regard to obstruction of justice, clearly because Romney's afraid that if Trump gets impeached, that might box him in on actually having the vote to convict on an obstruction of justice charge. But Justin Amash, the only Republican in Congress who has effectively come out in favor of Donald Trump's impeachment, and he has ripped Bill Barr our pathetic attorney general to shreds. He did so again today in a fantastic uh, Twitter thread. Uh, I'll read some of that to you right now. Justin Amash writing, Attorney General Barr has deliberately misrepresented key aspects of Mueller's report and decisions in the investigation, which has helped further the president's false narrative about the investigation. Correct. He continues, after receiving Mueller's report, Barr wrote and released a letter on March 24th describing Barr's own decision not to indict the president for obstruction of justice. That letter selectively quotes and summarizes points in Mueller's report in misleading ways. Mueller's report says he chose not to decide whether Trump broke the law because there's an official DOJ opinion on that indicting a sitting president is unconstitutional that because of concerns about impacting the president's ability to govern and preempting possible impeachment. That's an incredibly important point, by the way. And that was at the heart of why I have such disdain for Bill Barr, because that was sneaky pool. Because when he put out the word immediately that Mueller did not decide to not indict Trump on obstruction of justice because of that DOJ policy, which is what Barr said, that was a signal to all the experts out there, even on the liberal side. All of a sudden, everyone stopped in their tracks and said, wait a minute, Mueller specifically said that that his decision not to indict was not based on that DOJ memo? It's not law? Because that's a signal, a strong signal, that guess what? There's nothing to indict over. I have made a determination that even if he wasn't the president, I would not indict him. And that's not true. In fact, it's the opposite of what the report says. It's the exact opposite. 
And as Amash continues on in this Twitter thread, Barr's letter doesn't mention those issues when explaining why Mueller chose not to make a prosecutorial decision. He instead selectively quotes Mueller in a way that makes it sound falsely as if Mueller's decisions stem from legal, factual issues specific to Trump's actions. Again, that is key because immediately, even on the left, people's first reactions were, wow, okay, boy, that's really strange. But if that's the case, then this thing's all over. And effectively, the president if maybe not exonerated, because he did mention the words not exonerated, which is about as benign as you can possibly get in describing that report. But clearly this is not a situation that's ever going to result in his removal from office, nor should it, because Mueller, who Trump lied about and said was on a witch hunt for over a year plus, did not believe that this was indictable. That's false. Barr lied. Continuing with Amash. In noting why Barr thought the president's intent in impeding the investigation was insufficient to establish obstruction, Barr selectively quotes Mueller to make it all it sound as if his analysis was much closer to closer to Barr's analysis than it actually was. Barr quotes Mueller saying the evidence didn't establish that Trump was personally involved in crimes related to Russian election interference. And Barr then claims that Mueller found that fact relevant to whether the president had the intent to obstruct justice. But Mueller's quote is taken from a section in which he describes other improper motives Trump could have had and notes, quote, the injury to the integrity of the justice system is the same regardless of whether a person committed an underlying wrong. None of that is in Barr's letter. And that set the narrative. That set the narrative that that muted all sorts of potential momentum for a potential, for instance, impeachment, even among liberals. Continuing with Amash, as a result of Barr's March 24th letter, the public and Congress were misled. Mueller himself notes this in a March 27th letter to Barr, saying that Barr's letter did not fully capture the context, nature, and substance of his office's work and conclusions. Mueller continued, there is now public confusion about critical aspects of the results of our investigation. This threatens to undermine a central purpose for which the department appointed the special counsel to assure full public confidence in the outcome of the investigations. And Amash continues, I urge you to check this Twitter feed out if you're if you're on uh, Twitter. I have tweeted it from my own personal account, which is Zygmunt Freud. Uh, we'll probably do the same uh, at some point from the uh, individual one pod account. But he's exactly right and on point. Bill Barr is the key to this whole thing. And Justin Amash is the only one with the courage to say it because he, I think, realizes, that if he's, he's naive if he doesn't, that his career is over at this point. Because there's a very good chance he's going to lose a Republican primary because he has committed the ultimate sin. The ultimate sin right now is not to defy the Constitution or to tell a lie no, no, the, the ultimate sin in the Republican Party is to do something that the leader, the God King, Donald Trump, finds to be problematic, troubling, or against him personally. doesn't matter that everything that Amash is saying is true, that it's all backed up 
by facts, logic, and documentation. That is irrelevant. And it's irrelevant to every other Republican in Congress, in the House of Representatives, and the Senate. And it's totally pathetic. But that's where we are now. That's where we are. We're better than that. No, we're not. We're not better on that than that on certainly the Republican side. And I got problems with a lot of things the Democrats are doing as well. And that leads me to Robert Mueller. Because I'm starting to uh, get really upset with Mueller. It appears as if, and we don't know for sure, but this has been reported now for the last week or so in various sources, that Robert Mueller does not want to testify publicly in front of Congress. He wants to testify. He just wants to do it privately in a closed-door session. That is unacceptable. You cannot be serious! And it's not just because... From a uh, catharsis standpoint, America needs that crescendo to end this this story, to end this nightmare. You can't you can't have this story end without some sort of dramatic conclusion. And that would be at least Robert Mueller testifying publicly. But it's incredibly important for the American people to see him because we live among other things. We live in a world where if it doesn't happen on video or at least audio, it did not happen. Having him testify in private and then having a transcript come out is completely irrelevant and exactly what Donald Trump wants. Correct. Because, first of all, no one reads. Let's let's be clear about this. No one reads anymore. The written word has lost all power to influence public opinion in a widespread way. We've seen that with regard to books about Donald Trump that have actually helped Trump's approval ratings. I predicted this would happen with Bob Woodward's book last year. If Woodward did not release the tapes of his interviews with people in the White House, it was going to have no impact on him because people don't believe it. They don't care. They don't read a whole book. The percentage of people that read books is incredibly small. It's enough to make a lot of money for Bob Woodward, but it's not enough for it to impact public opinion, especially when the only people reading the book are the people who already dislike Donald Trump. That's why you bought the book. It's the same way with Mueller's report. And Barr knew this. Barr knew this. Eliminate any intrigue, any reason for people to read the report. No one on Trump's side wants to read it anyway because they have a sense it might be icky. It might make them feel bad. So they're, he's giving permission to everyone. Eh, nothing to see here. No collusion and, you know, effectively no obstruction of justice because there's no underlying crime. And let me just say one more time. We don't know if there was any underlying crime because there was so much obstruction that Mueller was not able to get to the bottom of this. And that's what he should have said. That's what Robert Mueller should have said. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm submitting this report because I now no longer trust the Department of Justice to continue to allow this investigation to go on. I have gone as far as I can. I can reach no conclusion on the issue of conspiracy because there's so much obstruction that it would be impossible to do so. And I believe that there are potentially impeachable offenses, at least in the realm of obstruction. I turn this over so that Congress can make that decision for themselves. That's what Mueller should have done, but he did not do that. And I wrote a column today, which I hope you'll check out. It's already been tweeted uh, at the Individual One Pod uh, uh, Twitter feed, where I asked the question, essentially, is Robert Mueller, and I'm not suggesting this is Mueller's intent, but is Robert Mueller effectively acting 
as Donald Trump's best friend. Because I think an incredibly strong argument can be made that he is. Here are some of the bullet points I list. Mueller limited the scope of his investigation to two incredibly narrow issues and defined conspiracy in such a way that it would have been impossible to prove, no matter how much quote-unquote collusion there may have been with Russia. He gave Trump every possible benefit of the doubt, especially on several obstruction allegations, and didn't make a big enough deal about how clear the obstruction by Trump was and that his team, that obstruction, may have prevented a finding of conspiracy. He strangely corrected only one media report during his investigation. BuzzFeed's report on Michael Cohen having been allegedly instructed to lie to Congress by Trump and his team. We discussed this on this podcast. We had the editor-in-chief of BuzzFeed, Ben Smith, on this show in an interview I urge you to check out. And it sure now looks like, inexplicably, that moment took the juice completely out of one of the most disturbing obstruction allegations against Trump in a way the president could have only dreamed of. Mueller diffused the, the charge of obstruction in the Michael Cohen congressional testimony that was most similar, in my opinion, to what Bill Clinton got impeached for, suborning perjury. And in this case, Cohen actually did perjure himself. In Clinton's case, he only suborned the perjury of his secretary, Betty Curry, in an effort to try to cover up the Monica Lewinsky affair, but she never actually committed perjury. I, so, And this is something I think people can understand. And I've talked time and time again about why I believe that there's only one explanation for Cohen's false testimony to Congress about the Trump Tower Moscow project. It's because he was directed to. And whether it's by his lawyers, Trump's lawyers, or by Trump himself, or both in a wink, wink, nod, nod sort of way, doesn't matter. Because when it's the president of the United States, that's obstruction because he has the pardon power and all sorts of other power, all sorts of favors he can do. This is his own personal lawyer. But Mueller did that favor for Donald Trump. Mueller accepted the presumption, not based in law, that a sitting president cannot be indicted. And then Barr misrepresented that. Mueller decided not to fight a subpoena battle to get Trump to testify, not even forcing the president to go down that path, which would have had at least some political peril. And then after letting him off the live testimony hook, Mueller accepted his absurd written answers. 37 times, Trump says, I don't remember. 37 times in written answers answers you cannot be serious <laughs> written answers from a guy who claims to have the best memory in the world correct <laughs> and all Mueller did was even though trump made numerous obvious lies he simply referred to his responses as quote inadequate Mueller naively trusted Bill Barr to accurately portray his report, and then when that didn't happen, he did nothing to publicly push back, even when he was doing so privately. And now he's afraid of testifying publicly. I'm sorry. This is a war. This is not a picnic. This is a situation where the gentleman's rules have been thrown out the window. If they weren't before Barr did what he did, they certainly are now. And Mueller ought to know that. Mueller is a freaking war hero, a Marine. And he's going to allow Bill Barr to get away with this and not even have his public say, all because he's afraid of the shit show. And granted, it would be a shit show. 
It would be a shit show. Republicans would create a shit show over this whole bullshit conspiracy deep state. Oh, the origins of the investigation. It was a coup d'etat. Bullshit. You must be crazy. When are you going to stop believing in something that isn't true? And this is, speaking of being crazy, it drives me crazy that by going this direction, Mueller, whether he intends to or not, realizes it or not, is effectively enabling and rewarding bad behavior by Trump, by Barr, and by the Republicans. Because if they threaten to make a shit show out of the thing, Mueller won't participate. So what are they going to do? Does that reward their behavior or not? I have two small children, two years old and seven years old. We're not the best parents in the world, but we realize you don't do that kind of thing because now you're creating a precedent where they understand quickly that that kind of behavior gets rewarded. And that's what Robert Mueller's doing. Will it suck for him if he were to testify publicly and have to go through that? Yeah, but if he handled it properly, it wouldn't happen again and it might backfire tremendously on those who try to make it into a shit show on both sides of the aisle. But make no mistake, Mueller not testifying publicly is effectively him not testifying. It is the greatest scenario possible for Donald Trump. A transcript doesn't mean shit in this situation. It's irrelevant. In the column I wrote, I make the analogy, here's the difference between Mueller testifying privately to Congress and testifying on television. Imagine if there was a print news story that uh, Beyonce had uh, done a private nude photo shoot. Okay, that's kind of interesting. That's, you know, no, people would be talking about that for 15 minutes on Twitter and they'd be curious about it. But, you know, it wouldn't have any major impact. And then compare that to what if nude photos of Beyonce got published? Think about the level of interest in that. It would be enormous. That's what we're talking about here. That's the way human beings react to these kind of situations. And Mueller's testimony would create enormous intrigue. In fact, the great vulnerability of Trump and Barr's strategy here is that they actually increased Mueller's credibility by claiming that he had exonerated Trump. And the whole Bill Barr controversy increased the drama and the intrigue. And now, despite that vulnerability... Mueller appears, by all accounts, to be afraid to testify, whether it's because he's an old man and he's lost his testicles, as I theorized in a previous uh, episode of the Individual One podcast. I don't know, but I've seen it time and time again. Old men wimp out. I don't know why, whether they're afraid of their legacies and they think they're going to die soon. They're terrified of the last chapter. I've seen it time and time again, publicly, privately, and I've learned to count on it. Count on it. When in doubt, old, successful men will always wimp out. And I got to tell you, I think there's part of this that where Mueller is intimidated by the whole witch hunt thing. He does His reputation is very important to him. And he's also naive. I think it's a combination of wimp out and being naive. He thinks that testifying to Congress is still going to be powerful uh, in a private session, not on television. Bullshit. Total bullshit. And I got to tell you, if if Mueller does not testify publicly, I, not that my opinion matters, but just as a, as a bellwether, I, I was probably one of the, the first conservatives in the media 
to come out and effectively say that Trump ought to be impeached. In fact, I have convinced and done so publicly uh, in my podcast, Republican or the Democratic uh, congressman. I don't like keep calling him Republicans, maybe because I'm oddly re- agreeing with him lately because he's very liberal. Democratic Congressman John Yarmer, the chairman of the Budget Committee, who's been on this podcast, a very good old friend of mine. I convinced him. He acknowledged I convinced him that Trump ought to be impeached. He's now like the major spokesperson in Congress for the impeachment of Donald Trump. He's on television constantly explaining why Trump not only should, but he, in his opinion, will be impeached. And I got to tell you, if Mueller does not testify publicly, I will likely change my opinion on whether or not Trump should be impeached. Not because it will change anything about the underlying actions that should have provoked his impeachment, but because of the political realities, that it just won't be worth it. I'm all for going into battle that you know you're going to lose as long as you can put up a good fight. But if Mueller's not even willing to testify publicly, it's not worth it. You're going to get ambushed. You got nothing to stand on. You're going to help Trump. I haven't come to this conclusion 100%, but that's where I'm headed. If there's no public testimony by Mueller, it would be foolhardy for Democrats to even bother. Even though historically it would be devastating and some future president would take advantage of it, in the short run, I think that the the negative aspects of this would be too dangerous and not worth it. Because if Mueller's not even willing to go in front of cameras and testify publicly, then nobody else is going to step to the plate and it's just going to play right into Trump's hands. Again, I'm not there yet. We don't even know 100% for sure that's Barr's decision, but it's looking, uh, reading the tweet tea leaves, as if that is going to be the case, which would be just tragic. It would be tragic for the truth. It would be tragic for justice. Uh, I have never believed that Trump was going to lose this. I've said numerous times Trump is not going to lose this battle. He's going to win. We're just debating the final score. The final score matters. The final score matters for history, and the final score matters for the 2020 election. And that's part of why I'm changing my opinion on what should happen if, if Mueller is not even willing to testify publicly. Uh, but, you know, just because you're going to lose or more than likely to lose doesn't mean if the fight is worth it from a principle standpoint that you don't take it on, especially when you've lived the life of a Robert Mueller. Now, is it possible there's something I'm missing here? It is certainly possible. There's a lot of other investigations that are still going on that we know little or nothing about. However, I'm tired of people giving every benefit of the doubt to Robert Mueller. I, don't, I no longer believe he deserves that level uh, of benefit of the doubt. If he was willing to testify publicly on television, I'd say, okay, fine, uh, then, uh, then he, he's clearly there. But I'm seeing all sorts of signs uh, of a combination wimp out and naivete, that he still thinks that we're living in uh, 1970-something and that the the rules haven't changed. The rules are totally changed. They're totally different now. And if you don't realize that, you're going to get killed. You're bringing a butter knife to a gunfight. And that's what's happening so far. Uh, But obviously we'll be along to to chronicle it as it happens. I certainly hope that Mueller will change his mind or that some way they'll be able to figure out a way to make that happen. But I have my doubts. Uh, and I do want to mention one other thing in, in somewhat support of Donald Trump, because this this article really bugged me. But, you know, in a, in a weird way, though, this will be critical of Trump as well. The New York Times, I think it was yesterday, uh, had a headline, Trump administration hardens its attack on climate science. And the article, which was praised by all the left wing media types on Twitter, is one of the most 
biased and vacuous as piece, pieces of crap I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it, it's basically written by uh, by Greenpeace, uh, dis- you know, ripping into Donald Trump and his administration on everything regarding climate science and global warming. And I keep waiting for what's the substance of this? What What is this based upon? And the article, if you look through the weeds, and the weeds are growing, by the way, because we've had lots of rain throughout the United States of America. There's been no global warming and there's no drought, but no one wants to address that issue. But I digress. So if you look through the weeds, about the only thing that the article is actually based upon is this idea that the Trump administration is no longer going to validate or enable scientific projections past the year 2040. And this has the global warming, climate change, scientific community all in a tizzy. Oh, you're destroying science. No, 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 no. That's not what's happening at all. No, because here's the greatest weapon that the global warming alarmists have been using. By using extrapolation over potentially bad or deceiving data and going 40, 50 years down the road, one, they have no accountability because guess what? In 40 years, they're dead, all right? At at the very least, they're uh, retired, no matter how young they are currently. So they don't care if those projections don't work out. But also over time with extrapolation, because these things happen in cycles, but the Global Warming Alliance uh, uh, Alliance and, and fanatics, they don't want to accept this because they like the extrapolation. If you extrapolate you know, year by year by year by year, you can get to some really damaging projections in 30 or 40 years that are very dramatic and will scare the hell out of people and maybe get Congress to act. Well, the Trump administration has actually smartly said, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that anymore. We're cutting it off at 2040. You want to make projections up to 2040? That seems reasonable. But beyond that, we're not going to have the government enable that. And that's fantastic. I think that's great. Because that's, that is the, the loophole, if you will, through which the global warming alarmists are able to manipulate the media and a large portion of the public. Because people believe that these projections are real. They never turn out to be tr- true. Uh, and, and to be clear, you know, I don't know if the globe is warming. I don't know if the climate's changing. It, could man be having some impact on whatever's going on? Sure. But this idea of catastrophic man-made global warming being a done deal and causing the imminent destruction of the planet, in my view, is bullcrap. There's no evidence to support it. I think there's a potential problem with the data because the way we've accumulated the data has dramatically changed in the last couple of decades. And that's why all of a sudden the last 20 years have been so damn warm. And I keep going back to the idea, if the last 20 years have been so damn warm, the warmest years ever, why is there no drought in the United States of America? We have that, we have less drought at this moment from the southern tip of Florida to the northern tip of Alaska, an incredibly large and vast portion of the planet has never in recorded history had less drought, yet we've had the la- the 20 hottest years ever? Come on, people. There could be a problem with the data. I'm not saying you don't look into it. You don't keep investigating it. I'm all for a good environment. Reasonable things should be done. Of course, one country has no control over any of this. India and China have far more impact over it than we do currently. And if they're not on board, what difference does it make? But the But the idea that somehow... Not having the government validate 
ridiculous long-term projections from people who clearly have a bias and are using the extrapolation model is not hardening, hardening an attack on climate science. It's closing off a loophole for these people to, to game the system and keep getting funding for their crazy long-term projections. Now, on the negative side, what bothers me about this is, number one, and I think this is part of the cost that Trump is going to in, in, in invoke on all of us, especially on the conservative side. There are so many conservative positions that are now politically toxic because they are associated with Donald Trump. And now global warming skepticism is one of them. I mean, I do this all the time when I express skepticism about man-made catastrophic global warming. I get somehow lumped in with Donald Trump, which is absurd. But that's, but that's the price we're going to pay now because this is a, a position that Trump is associated with. Same, with. same way with illegal immigration. In the long run, it's going gonna, it's gonna to destroy any chance that conservatives have on that issue and a, and a series of others. And one other thing it does, by the way, <laughs> in a weird way, I'm sure this was not the intent, by, by cutting off these projection models at 2040, it also takes away uh, one of the excuses that the uh, the global warming alarmists will have here when their projections don't come true. <laughs> I'm sure no one's thinking about that either. And I don't, I may not be alive anymore to be able to, to, uh, to, to declare victory on that one. But it did occur to me that this, in a weird way, might play right into the hands of the global warming alarmists by preventing the government from validating these bat-crap crazy projections 30, 40 years down the road. But never, just don't say I never say anything positive about the Trump administration because occasionally they do, do things right, if only by accident. As is always the case when we end an episode, I update the percentages, please no wagering, remember, on the chances of Donald Trump uh, being uh, removed from office or not finishing his first term and also being reelected. Going to keep the percentage of Donald Trump not finishing his first term at just 5%, although there's some people talking more about the 25th Amendment now than there are about about removal through impeachment. And I would put his chances of re-election right now at 42%. That's for the record on this episode number 33 of the Individual One podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. And follow us on Twitter at our Twitter handle, Individual One. That's Individual, the number one pod. My name is John Ziegler. Until Saturday... This is the Global Story Network.